I think there are uh, three experiences that we have uh, in this thing called life. The first experience is what you would call a mountaintop experience. And we love mountaintop experiences. On the mountaintop, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, we feel close to God and near to Him, and we really feel loved and cared for. And we have energy and strength, and we receive a love from God when we're on the mountaintop, uh, like this world doesn't know, and uh, that this world can't take away. And God is present on the mountaintop. Uh We also have an experience in life called the valley experience. In the valley, it's often dark and cold, but the sun still shines on the valley and things grow in the valley. And when you're in the valley, what's cool is you can look up and you can still see the mountain. That even if you're down in the valley, you still see the mountain and you think, I can climb back up that way. Often, Valley experiences come when we uh, royally mess up. We say something, we do something, and immediately we go all the way to the bottom of the valley, and we're like, ah, why did I say that? Why did I do that? But you, you still know that God is present because you look up and you see the mountain, and you think, you know what? I just got to climb up a little bit, and God will meet me there. And God is present in the valley. The third experience is what I call the desert. In the desert, the sun burns and there's no shade. Everything is desolate and dead. There's nothing but loneliness and a dry heat. And God seems like He is nowhere to be found. And when you're in the desert, you don't know where you're going or what you're going to do when you actually get there. And yet, God is still in the desert. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is what happens when God leads you in desert places. In places that are difficult. In places that you would not choose to go yourself. And yet, somehow, God leads you into that. I want to talk about what the Bible refers to as the roundabout ways of God. And how sometimes God actually takes His children, not in a straight route, but He takes them in a roundabout kind of route. Even when they don't want to go. Now this summer we've been talking about this guy named Moses. And uh, earlier we talked about a few weeks ago, about a passage in Exodus, chapter 3, that focused on God coming in the form of a burning bush and for Moses to be there and experience the presence of God being right there with him. And in the midst of that, God calls him to go and to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. So let's look what happens after that conversation. In Exodus chapter 3, I'll come up on the screens. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he goes on and he talks about what that promised land will look like and where it will be. And so here we've got a story in which God is going to take Moses and all of his people from a bad place, from a place of oppression and slavery, to a place that is a good place, a promised land, flowing with milk and honey. It's a place where they can be free. It's a place where they can receive the abundance of God in their lives. And it sounds like in chapter 3 that this is going to be like a straight shot. That it's going to be a simple journey. That there's just kind of two parts to it. And these are the two parts. God says, I'm going to take them out of Egypt 
and I'm going to take them to the promised land. And the journey sounds pretty easy, kind of a straight line. And the Israelites would know what the easiest route is to go. I mean, once they leave Egypt, all they have to do is actually kind of go northeast from that, and they could do it probably in a number, uh, in just a number of weeks. Just a couple of weeks. Straight shot. A short journey. And there was a route that was used from Egypt to the Promised Land. And to help you visualize this, I, I got a map. You can look on your screens there. And you can see that you go just a little bit north and east, and you arrive there. Now, I put I-69 on there just to help you understand that it can be a direct route like that, okay? But actually, it's not in the Bible. So if you're reading, you will not find I-69 uh, in the Bible, okay? It calls it a different name in the Bible. And uh, the promised land is just north and east. All they have to do is kind of go up that way. Now, let's kind of put it in our terms. Uh, we'll put up another map. It's kind of like uh, Muncie is Egypt, and we're going to Toledo. And uh, all you have to do is kind of go north and east. It's kind of a direct route. You've got to go through that wonderful place called Fort Wayne. Um, but then you're just going up and you're there. But then a surprising thing happens. And let's look at chapter 13. Because here, God does what no one expects Him to do. And He takes them in a place that they don't want to go. Exodus 13. This is after the ten plagues. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. And Moses took, him, uh, took with him the bones of Joseph, Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day and led them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of the fire by night left its place in front of the people. God takes His people on another route. If you're a person who is a circling person, you want to circle the roundabout way because that's the key to this whole text and maybe all of Exodus. Because God takes them on a roundabout way. It's not the way they expected to go, and it was not the quickest route. It was kind of an odd route, to be quite honest. Now, I want to show you kind of another map which is the map of the roundabout way. It'll come up here, and you can just see. It's a different route. Now, nobody necessarily knows if that's exactly the route or not, but that's one of the ways that scholars believe it happened. You see all the twists and the turns and the here's and the there's, the roundabout way. And can you just imagine the moment when this happened? Imagine that two million people are gathered. Pharaoh has said, you can leave. And they get ready to go, and they know the shortest way. They know where they should go. But God doesn't take them that way. And all of these people are like, this is going to be a short journey. And it was an easy journey, because they had what? a pillar of cloud by day. God was with them in the day. And then at night even, there was a pillar of fire at night. So 
they know that this is just going to take a couple of weeks. But imagine their surprise when you have two million people and you're all like, okay, we just got to go north and east, you know, up to Toledo. And all of a sudden, the cloud starts taking you south. And they were expected to be headed east and north, but the pillar starts going in the south direction. You know, the pillar is kind of directionally challenged, I guess, you know? Like, God, uh, maybe when you created this, that was, you know, a long time ago, and we need to not go that way. And the pillar was leading them into the desert. It was leading them into a place that they didn't want to go. It was leading them to a place that they never wanted to go. And this creates the great crisis, not only of the book of Exodus, but of all of our lives. And this is the question, will they follow God even when they don't understand? Will they follow God even when it doesn't make sense? Will they follow God and be faithful to Him on the roundabout way? Will God's people say yes to God even if it doesn't seem like He's heading in the right direction? You see, sometimes, folks, God leads us on roundabout ways. And one of his qualities that is very irritating for impatient people like me, and I'm sure there are a few of you that are impatient, is that God is never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry at all. Have you ever noticed that about God? He's not in a hurry. He leads people around roundabout ways. He takes people to the promised land, even if it means we have to go through the desert. Now, this way of the desert, folks, this roundabout way, is not a minor detour, as you can tell. Because those of us who are familiar with this story, if you've been reading Exodus throughout the summer, which I really hope a lot of you have been, how long were they on this roundabout way? Maybe nobody's been reading. I don't know. Uh, I have. Anyone else? How long were they on this roundabout way? Forty years. Forty years. I mean, this should have only taken a couple of weeks at most, maybe less. But it's 40 years because they're going to learn to understand God in a different way. They're going to learn to understand Him in the desert. Now, this leads me to my first big idea that I want you to really hold on to, and it's this right here. The desert is a very important place in the Bible, and many of God's people will spend prolonged time. That means a lot of time. That means expanded time in the desert. How do we know this? First of all, we know it in Moses' life, right? He uh, kills a guy in Egypt. He's running away from Pharaoh. And he immediately goes to the land of Midian. And what is Midian? A desert. How long do you think Moses was there? Do you remember? Just say the same answer again. You know, it's like, uh, 40! Good! You know, it's 40. 40 years. Now there's another guy, after Moses, a guy by the name of Elijah, who was a prophet, a messenger of God, a person who spoke just like Moses did on behalf of God to other people. And um, the climax of his ministry is getting ready to come, and there's this queen, this real nasty bitty, who uh, doesn't like Elijah. And uh, her name was Queen Jezebel. Look what happens in this story. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow I have failed to take your life like those whom you killed. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the desert, traveling 40 days and 40 nights. How long was Elijah in the desert? 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if you go and you go fast forward to the New Testament, uh, another person comes on the scene and he's in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. His name is Jesus. 
But you don't realize, folks, that just before uh, he goes there, he's, he is baptized, just like five people are going to be baptized today. You need to come, whatever it is that you have planned, cancel that and come to the baptism tonight. Five people are giving their lives to Christ today. There's nothing better on your schedule. The brickyard will be done by then, I promise, okay? But, but uh, Jesus gets baptized. God looks down upon him and he says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then look what the scripture says. It says, Then the who? Spirit sent him. It thrust him. In other words, God's spirit takes him to the desert and he's, he, he remains there for 40 days. Over and over and over again, throughout the scripture, people who grow closer to God eventually end up in the desert. Everybody, folks, logs some time in the desert. Now, the desert is not a place you want to go. The desert does not flow with milk and honey. It is barren and dry. And yet, at some point or another, every follower of Christ has to do some log time in the desert. And you are not always guaranteed to go there in a quick, easy route. Sometimes it goes the roundabout way, and you spend time there. There are going to be times in which your heart aches when you feel lost. There are going to be times when you feel fatigued, in which you're so tired that when you go to sleep at night, even that doesn't refresh you. There will be times in which you long for something. And it's something that you've discerned about. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. And you pray about it. And you ask God about it. And you think this is a great thing. This is going to build your kingdom up, God. And you pray about it. And it doesn't happen. Now sometimes, our desert experiences are triggered triggered by some events. Uh, Maybe something happens in your relationship. Some of you have children and maybe a child that you love very, very much. All of a sudden decides that they're going to rebel and they're going to do their own thing. And they go off. And they walk away. And some of you are in that desert period right now. And you don't know where they're at or what's going on. Some of you might be in a financial disaster. And you're trying your best to deal with it in the desert. Some of you may have a dream that you've been dreaming your whole life, whatever it is. You've been dreaming, you've been wanting it, you've been desiring it, you've prayed for it. And then one day you wake up and you realize that this dream has never come about, and it may not. And in that moment, a little piece of you dies along with the dream. Sometimes desert experience has happened. God takes us somewhere We don't even know why. And it's very difficult to keep faith when you're going through a desert. You pray, you pour your heart out to God, but God just seems like He's not near. You're confused and you're wondering why. Why doesn't He answer? It is in your spirit and it's dry and it's a barren place. And sometimes our spirits feel like we're in the desert. Some of you have been there. Some of you are going through that right now. And I wish, with all my heart, I really do, I know some of the pain, some of the hurt that some of you go through. When I look up here on Sunday, folks, I don't look and just think, oh, I'm going to give this powerful message. I look out and I see people's lives who are being hurt. And sometimes no one else in the entire church knows it except me. And I wish I could give you God's tender words to tell you that no matter what you're going through, that He will not walk away. That He will not forget you. That He will not abandon you in your deepest, darkest moment. It's just that sometimes He takes us about roundabout desert ways and I don't understand it myself. But He will never leave you or forsake you. And this kind of leads me to my second kind of big idea that I want you to get, and it's this. 
God's way is rarely the quickest way. And it's seldom the easiest way, but it is always the best way. God's way is rarely the quickest way. It is seldom the easiest way, but it is always, folks, the best way. Folks, God shapes your soul in the desert. And I want to spend the rest of our time just giving you three things that we can learn about in the desert. That we can learn about when we're going on the roundabout way. And the first thing that we learn in the desert is this. That the desert is a place where we learn patience. The desert is a place where we learn patience. We learn to follow a God who is not in a hurry. You see, what happens is when people get into the desert, they become anxious and they want to do whatever they can to get out of that desert as quickly as possible. They don't want to go to the desert, but once they're there, they want to get out. And the danger is is that many of us will do such a quick fix that we will find ourselves right back into Egypt again. The exact place that holds us in slavery and oppression, we will find ourselves right back there if we're not careful. The desert is a place where we learn to follow God and we learn to trust God one day at a time. And we read it in this text. Every day the people would wake up and they would see this pillar. And they would have to decide, are we going to follow this pillar even if it takes us on twists and turns and roundabouts or are we going to do our own thing? Even more difficult was sometimes that if the pillar decides to just stop and sit there for a while, that we are willing to stop and sit. I mean, when we know the way to the promised land, or we think we know the way to get there, do you have enough patience to follow God rather than trying to do it on your own? And God teaches this over and over and over again. It's called the roundabout way. One example of this in the Bible, in this story in Exodus, is the way that God feeds his children manna. Now, manna was kind of like a uh, sweet bread. And every single morning, the Scripture says that God would uh, rain down this bread on these people because they didn't have anything to eat. They're in a desert. And he would rain this sweet bread down. And each morning they would collect the manna and they would eat this sweet bread and give it to their family, whatever was needed. And then God told Moses to tell the people this. Moses said, No one is to keep any of it, the manna, for tomorrow. But some of them did not listen to Moses and they saved part of it. And the next morning it was full of worms and smelled rotten. He was saying, let's just take this one day at a time. Whatever God gives us on this particular day, that's what we'll eat, that's what will take care of us. But the people get kind of anxious because they're kind of like, dude, we're in a desert. There's no place to make flour and bread and stuff. We need to kind of hoard this. We need to stockpile it. And the Scripture says that they stockpiled it one day, and the next day they had worms, and it was rotten. You see, manna had a short uh, uh, shelf life. You, you ever go to the, you know, you, you go to the store and they put these little stickers on fruit or, you know, meat or whatever, and it says sell by this day. Well, when they went to look at this for manna, it just had one word: today. That's it. You just had it for today. That's it. Manna was just good for that day. And God was trying to teach His people that, will you trust me, that tomorrow, when you wake up, you'll have manna again. And then the next day, when you wake up, that I will provide it for you again. And then the next day, I'll provide it for you again. And day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year, for 40 years, God continues to provide exactly what they need while the people are in the desert. 
so that they would not forget that He will take care of them. And you would think, wouldn't you, after 300 days, after 400 days, after 500 days, after 1,000 days, that you would say, you know what, I know that tomorrow God is going to provide our needs with manna. Well, the desert is a place where you have to learn patience. Now, some of you are married. And you're married right now. And the reality is, maybe no one else knows, but you know that your marriage right now feels like it's going through a desert time. And the question that I ask you today is this. Will you be patiently obedient to God and to your marriage? Will you love your spouse one day at a time, even though they drive you nuts? Will you love your spouse when they get on your nerves, not one day, but weeks and months, and maybe even for some of you years, that you will still say, today I will love them. And sometimes, sometimes, when you're going through a desert experience in your marriage, it is not easy. There's a story that's told of a very old couple uh, who is laying in bed, And they've been married for 50 years. And the wife turns to her husband and says, You know, when we first got married, you held my hand at night all the time. Why don't you do that anymore? There's this long pause. Because he really doesn't feel like it anymore. I mean, his, whole, his hand-holding grip is not quite as strong as it used to be. And he has arthritis in it and everything else. But he decides that he will reach over and he grabs a hold of her hand. But she's not satisfied. She says, you know, when we were first married, you used to cuddle right up to me. Why don't you do that anymore? Again, there's this long, long pause. He's got bursitis. He's got bad knees. He's got cuddling issues, okay? (laughs) Finally, though, he kind of rolls over and he kind of rolls near to her and kind of creakily, you know, snuggles up to her. But she's still not satisfied, even with that. You know, when we first got married, you used to nibble at my ear at night. And he flings back the blanket and he gets up and he gets ready to walk out of the room. And she's really hurt at this time. And she says, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to get my teeth. That's good, isn't it? You know, folks, it's one thing to nibble at someone's ear when you're young. When the Gucci is flowing in the air, when Chanel number five is there, it's easy. Is Chanel number five even? Maybe that's old. I don't know. I just looked at whatever my mom had on her shelf. (laughs) It's easy then. It's easy to do it when you're young. But you know what? It is so much more difficult to nibble when the ear doesn't hear so well anymore and when the ear actually has a hearing aid in it and hair is growing out of it and you have the smell of Ben Gay as you get ready to nibble at it, and you have to go find your teeth. You know? Sometimes, folks, it's not easy. In fact, sometimes it's very difficult. And the question is, when you are in the desert, will you learn to be patient? Will you learn to trust God one day at a time and recognize that God is not in a hurry? 
Will you persist in prayer, even when you would rather not pray? Will you become obedient in the desert, even when you don't want to obey? My guess is, is that everybody in this room today has some desert people, has some desert relationships in your life. Will you be patient with the desert people? Do you ever get impatient? Impatient with your spouse, with your kids, with the neighbors, maybe with your coworkers, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's the people that work for you. Will you just say today that with God's help, I will be as patient with the people in my life. And this is a hard thing, but I don't know how else to say it. It's very difficult, but I don't know a better way to say it. Will that you just stand up and you will say, I will be as patient with the people in my life as God has been patient with me. Well, that's the first lesson that we learn in the desert. Here's the second thing. The desert is a place where God makes you strong. The desert is a place where God makes you very strong. Now, the question that people often ask is, why am I being led into the desert? Why am I being led there in the first place? Now, in this story, it doesn't happen all the time, but in this story, we find out exactly what God is thinking. Sometimes God is mysterious, and we don't know why He does the things that He does. But in this story, we find out. And in Exodus 13, verse 17, it says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, the direct route, I-69, although it was nearer. So why doesn't he do that? It says, For God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. The direct route. In other words, I-69 would have taken people past those hostile people, their enemies. Now God was... Perfectly able, folks, to defend and uh, to deliver His people, even on that route. But the reality is the people hadn't built much faith yet. Do you remember? They had been slaves for 400 years. They still thought and acted like a person who was a slave. And so, here's kind of the point. God is not concerned with where His people are going as about who they will be when they get there. God is not nearly as concerned with where you are going as important as it is as about who you will be when you will get there. God is not concerned with where I am, my job, my house, my car, my relationships, all that kind of stuff. Uh, as much as he is, who are you going to become? There's an old uh, observation. I, I don't know who wrote it, but it, it's really good. And it says this. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. 40 years. Folks, it's easy to trust in God when you're in, the milk, when you're in the land of milk and honey, the promised land. When you're on the mountaintop where everything in your life is going well, where your prayers are getting answered, where your problems melt away, where your kids' teeth are straight, where your boss likes you. You know, faith is not hard at that point. But it's in the desert, the desert times, that it's another story. And generally, God's people spend some time in the desert. In fact, there's a guy named Joseph who we read about earlier. He's before Moses, but uh, he is told, he is promised that he is going to be a great leader. And one day his brothers get together, they throw him in a hole, they sell him in to slavery, and then he spends most of his time either as a slave or as a prisoner in jail. But one day, in the roundabout way, God leads him to a place where 
he never thought he would get, and he becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt, the vice president of it, and God was with him in the roundabout ways. There's another guy by the name of David. David is promised that he will be a great king. And you would think that this would be a straight shot right to the throne. And at one point, he finds himself being a fugitive, hiding out in caves, out in the desert, to escape this lunatic king by the name of King Saul. He learns the roundabout ways of God. But he knows that in time, God will fulfill his promise. Another guy is a guy by the name of Daniel. And Daniel is a wise man, a good man, a gifted man, a faithful man. And you would think it was just a straight position, a straight kind of shot into a position of honor. But he ends up in exile. He ends up in a strange land with strange people. He suffers. He's persecuted. He's eventually thrown into a lion's den to be killed. Now, God is still leading Daniel, but he's leading him in a roundabout way. And you know what is happening to Joseph and to David and to Daniel? Their faith is getting mighty strong. In 1998, I was pastoring a church that had doubled in size in two years. We, uh, as a group, said, hey, we have too many people. We need to build a brand new building. I was so excited and and looking forward to what was going to happen with that. But as we prayed more and more, we felt this distinct call to come to Muncie so that Jennifer could do her residency training. When we got here in 1998, we knew nobody. Jen started her school, and she spent most of her time at the residency, averaged about 90 hours a week, so I didn't see her a whole lot. And I spent my time mowing the yard, weeding the yard, weeding the flower beds, planting flowers. And I had the best yard in my whole neighborhood, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But it was a lonely desert time. And in the fall, I started my master's uh, degree at uh, Anderson, and I really thought, oh, this is going to help me. You know, I was feeling kind of discouraged. I didn't know anybody, but I'm going to meet some people while I know people. And then they took us to psychological testing for eight hours. You just look around the room and you think, there are some weirdos here, you know. (laughs) They love God, but they're weird. And I felt like a stranger in a strange place. I didn't know anyone. I drove to Anderson and I drove back to Muncie and that was it. And during this time, the desert was extremely lonely. I eventually started having anxiety attacks. I would wake up every single morning and I would have dry heaves over a toilet. And my wife would just kind of hold my head. And for 36 days straight, folks, that was my routine. Never slept, would wake up with dry heaves, went through a horrible kind of battle with depression, had no friends. And it came to that 36th day and. I'll never forget, I was praying at the church where my dad passed. And I just said, God, I'm tired. I'm so tired. I surrender myself fully to you, God. Do with my life whatever you want to do. And I looked at my journal this week on that particular day. And this is what I wrote. I have not prayed in 36 hours. But this prayer today is not simply words, but it is life. Father, thank you for being with me in this desert. Thank you for not walking away. You are my only shelter in the desert, and I worship you and you alone. I thank you for taking me through this desert so that I would get to know you more intimately. 
Because in the desert experience that I'm going through, God, you are the only thing that makes sense. You're the only thing that I can cling to. You are the only one who knows me, heart, mind, and soul. And I read that thing earlier this week, and I thought to myself, why are you thanking God for that? That's a dumb thing to thank God for. A horrible, difficult time. But then it hit me. The reason that I could thank God during that time is because, folks, when you're going through a desert experience, that is the point in which God gives you strength that you would never experience at any other time. And whether it's the death of a loved one or a divorce or a difficult time, whatever it is, in that moment, if you will stay close to God, He will take you to a place that you have never been in your life before. You grow very strong, folks, during that time. When you're on the roundabout way, you have to say deep in your soul at that point, I will not go back to Egypt no matter how easy it seems. I will follow Christ. And you will grow in your souls. You'll learn what it means to trust God. And if you are in the desert or on the roundabout way, don't think that God has forgotten you, and some of you are going through right now. Don't think that God has forgotten about you, that He doesn't care. He cares. He loves you. He never walks away from you. Some of you are seeking a relationship right now with Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright, and you've been waiting a very, very long time. And you're starting to think, Maybe Mr. or Ms. Wright is not there. They're not coming. Maybe I should get off the roundabout road and just kind of do my own thing and find Mr. or Ms. not so horrible, you know? And I just want to encourage you, don't fall into the trap. God will fulfill His promise. Some of you are on a roundabout way right now with your finances. You're facing enormous financial pressure. And you know that you could cut some corners, you could cheat, you could defraud, you could bend, you could change your integrity, you could do a whole lot of things, and it might be easier. But you need to stand up this morning and put a stake in the ground and say, even though I'm in the midst of a financial desert and the pressures on me are enormous, I am not going to yield. I am not going back to Egypt. I am going to follow Christ. And if I'm on this roundabout way for the rest of my life and I never even get to the promised land, I will follow Christ. I'm telling you folks, when you're in the desert, it sucks. It's horrible. It's difficult. It feels like nothing's there. But it's just at that point that God is making you so much stronger. Last thing. The desert is the place where we learn to love God. For God's sake. And not just for the sake of the milk and honey that God gives us. When you're in the desert, you learn to love God for God's sake and not just for the milk and the honey that He gives us. Jesus put it this way. He said, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and the, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. You see, Jesus says that the key to loving God is not loving Him for what He can give you, but it's loving Him for simply who He is. There's a machine at many restaurants. And in this machine are these wonderful toys and stuffed animals. The machine is called the crane machine. I have never won at the crane machine. I wish I would have invented the crane machine, but I've never won it. But, Several months ago, my family and I were down in Tennessee, and there was this crane machine, 
And my oldest daughter, Jordan, her eyes got huge. And she's like, we've got to go. (laughs) And so we go over there. And I'm not thinking we're going to win anything whatsoever. You put 50 cents in and you don't get squat. But I'm thinking, you know, this is a good lesson for, uh, for Jordan to learn. So she puts the 50 cents in. I help do the crane part. And then she pushes the red button. And it goes down. And to my amazement, five stuffed animals come up. And I, I was so nervous at that point, I let the joystick go. I thought it might be possessed or something, you know. And we pull it over. And Jordan's like, Daddy, let's do it again for Shiloh. And we did it again. And five stuffed animals came up. And I'm thinking at that point, I'm the man. (laughs) And I strut over to the cash register. I've got ten toys here. And I'm like, hey, yeah, this is the cash register. She, she, She looks at me and she goes, yep, everybody wins at that game. We don't know why. And my deflation, my male ego, went down. Well, a few weeks ago, we go to Steak and Shake here in town. And they have the crane machine there. And we get to Steak and Shake. And Jordan's there, and her eyes are open. And she's like, da-da! And we go over. And I'm thinking, God, maybe I really am skilled, you know? And we took the crane over, and there was this one stuffed animal. And I said, Jordan, push the button. And she pushed it down, and guess what happened? It came up empty, nothing. She said, Daddy, we've got to try more. And I said, well, this is all you have to spend. And she kept putting in quarter after quarter after quarter, and finally, we didn't get squat. Jordan was worshiping this machine. She was saying sweet things to this machine. Oh, machine, I love you. And she put more money in and more money in. And she tied to the machine. She's like, I'm willing to tie to you. But the machine did not give her any toys that time at all. And when no toys came out, and there was no money left, Do you think she still loved the machine? No. And this stings me, folks. Because the desert times are the times in which there are no toys that are falling down into our hands. I don't get the job, I don't get the promotion. I don't get the house. I don't get the car. I don't have a great reputation. And it's then when you find out, do I really love God? Do I really love God? Or do I just love Him for the toys that he gives me. In the desert, it's kind of this terrible and yet wonderful thing that happens. You, often in the desert, you lose everything. But you find God. And God's enough. And if he takes us on a roundabout way or a desert way, it's okay. He is the God who is headed towards the throne. But it is not a straight route, folks. It is the way of the cross. And the Bible says this. And some of you should cut this out and put it somewhere. Memorize it. The Lord has promised me that He will never leave us or desert us. That should make you feel like saying, the Lord helps me. Why should I be afraid? Folks, for those of you who are in the desert right now, or you will be tomorrow, or you will be a week from now, 
or a month from now or a year from now. I want to encourage you to stay faithful even if he takes you on a roundabout way. Rejoice in him. Say yes to him. And most of all, run directly into his arms that are open for you. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, today some of us, we simply need to put a stake in the ground and say to you, God, it is very difficult. I'm in the desert right now. But I'm going to stay faithful to you. I am going to trust you one day at a time. And some of you right now, I know because you share things with me. I know that some of you right now, that you just need God to come down and to tenderly put his arms around you and tell you, I have not forgotten you. I haven't abandoned you. I have not left you. You are my child. I am head over hills in love with you. Don't give up now. God, we promise today that we will follow you no matter what. For you are our God and we are your people. And we follow you, God, so that your name would be made great and people in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana, God, would know that there is a place that is not just an oasis, but it is a place filled with God's love and his care and his concern and his power that pours out from this thing called the jar into their lives. And God, would we be that this week? Would we just pour out ourselves to others? God, we love you. And we will follow you even in the desert. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite uh, our two prayer folks to come on up. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, please come on up. Thanks.